insurance agents from around the world. Hey, guys, this is Scott Howell with the Insurance Guys podcast. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. How many service calls do you get a day? How about a week? How about a month? More importantly, how many of those calls are revenue generating? If not, why are you still taking those calls? The reality is that clients don't want to call their agent for things like documents, billing, service requests. These are considered non-revenue generating activities that can and should be handled with a client experience platform, CXP. The rule of thumb is, can you rely on your technology to fully accomplish the same thing being asked over the phone? If the answer is yes, give the client that option, please. Now is the time to look into a CXP for your agency, a client experience platform. A CXP is a core system at your agency, just like your AMS, just like your CRM, just like your Raider. Having a client experience platform like Glovebox gives you a leg up on the competition and allows you to focus on sales, which we better all be focusing on because nothing else matters, and high-level service. Get a demo today with one of the Glovebox gurus and mention the Insurance Guys podcast to get 20% off your new CXP. Trust me when I say it's time to jump on the Glovebox platform. I know we've done it here in our agency. We love it. We're desperately trying to get all of our clients on the Glovebox platform, guys. Desperately. We want them on there. We want them to go get their ID cards there. We want to reduce the number of times they call the agency. And, and that frees us up to do more selling. That's all it does. Call today, get a demo, and join Glovebox. Hey, guys, it's Bradley. Every now and then, a company comes across my desk that not only blows my mind and what they're able to accomplish, but we implement that particular technology in Portal and it completely changes the way we do business. That's happened a few times with a few different companies. And it happened this year with Ascend. In case you don't know, Ascend saves agent time by simplifying the time-consuming process of collecting payments, premium financing, and carrier payables. Without the back-and-forth paperwork integrated right into your checkout experience where customers can pay how they want. Credit, debit, ACH. Own the entire customer experience. It's branded to your agency and offer a modern checkout experience that your customers want. Ascend will also, this is the big one for me, automatically pay the provider, the carrier, the MGA, so you don't have to deal with the payables. It turns agency bill into direct bill. It combines the benefits of agency bill, owning the experience, with the convenience of direct bill. Don't have to worry about collections, payables, so you get the best of both worlds. And the best part is there's no subscription, no fee and no cost to the agents. Stop wasting time on payments so you can focus on growing your business. Go to useascend.com backslash insurance guys. I'm telling you guys, this is not just a promotion. This company is going to change the insurance industry. They've already changed portal. Useascend.com backslash insurance guys. That's U-S-C-A-S-C-E-N-D.com backslash insurance guys. Tell them we sent you. Thanks. 
insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. He is a six foot three sophomore from Sarahland, Alabama. Parade first team All-American rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you today? Best I've ever been. Bradley, I'm back in the saddle. Back in I'm the saddle. Done. I am done. I am done with the poor pitiful me's. Mm-hmm. This is awful. I'm done. But before we get started, a couple things. I, I forgot to mention, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. Bradley, I need to spend a special shout. Well, first of all, let me say this, guys. I, 30 minutes ago, was sitting in a dentist chair having a cavity filled in the bottom left corner of my mouth. So if I sound like Sylvester the cat right now, that, that is completely what happened. Okay. That was 30 minutes ago. I want to sp- send a special thank you to my friend and great American, Mr. Cy Young. I show up last week at Jason Cass's brain share event up in Kansas city. And Cy comes up to me, he says, Hey man, brought you a hat. I was like, I'm going to wear it today. <sighs> Go get me that freaking hat. So is it a Holtz leather hat. It looks like a Holtz leather hat. It's a, uh, it's a Richardson one, one, two, but they put their, they've, they put their logo on it, uh, stitched their logo on it. So it's Haven Insurance Partners based out of Tennessee. And I can't remember the little town they're in, but I, I love Cy Young. Flip, flip it around backwards. Let me see the back of it. Okay. No, it's not a Holtz leather hat. Okay. No, that's wrong. It, it Holtz leather makes the rich. That's who makes mine, but they use a Richardson hat and they put their little logo on there. Gotcha. Bradley, we got a lot to talk about today. I, funny story, though. You want to hear something funny? Go ahead. You know who the model is for the Holtz leather hat on their website? Mm-mm. My ass. Oh, I thought you were going to say somebody like Jack Wingate. No, it's me. I, and I didn't know it. I was on their website the other day going to buy some more hats. And I'm looking, I'm like, I'd be dang if that's not me. I'll that's me dang. right there. And I was like, okay, I guess uh, me tagging you in the Instagram post gave you permission to do that. I suppose. <laughs> so let's talk today, Bradley. We've got a great episode for these guys. This is going to be series one in a three or four part podcast series that you and I have decided that we're going to do. But before we get to that, I know you want me to give everybody an update on what's going on with some of the fraudulent check activity that happened in my agency. Mm-hmm. Guys, let me tell you what happened. So I did an entire podcast on Amy. We're going to call her Amy. You guys are intimately familiar with that story. But if you guys remember about two months before that story broke, I had a check stolen out of the mail by Mr. Jalen Knowles, 19, and the two are not related to not, not at all related, which is hard to believe, but $19,700 check. Well, the reason that Amy got caught doing what she was doing is someone stole a $400 check out of the mail. And here's where Amy got caught. Here's where Amy got caught. So after the Jalen Knowles check got stolen, I had three more checks get stolen out of the mail, completely unrelated to Amy, completely unrelated. The one check that they cashed that caused this whole thing to unravel for her 
was a actual operating line check. And Scott watches that like he's watching the AFC championship. Okay. It was a vendor check. I'll even tell you who it was made out to. It was made out to Lamar billboards. I have one billboard. And the only reason I have it is it's 36 feet long and 14 feet wide. And you just about hit it with your car when you go by by one of my offices. Okay. There were two other altered checks that came from the Jalen Knowles check where they tried to put them on a printer. So on the second day of my friend and great American Jason Cass's brain share event, which Bradley, I want us to get into in a minute, talk just a little bit about. I get a call from the Huntsville Police Department's fraud investigator team. They said, hey, we need to talk to you. You're on a first-name basis by now. Oh, we are. We, we hang out on the weekends now. Hey, I need you to call me back. I got something I need to talk to you about. Great. More good news, I'm sure. He calls me back. He said, listen, doesn't have anything to do with Amy. I need to, talk, I need to ask you some questions. Okay. He said, uh, we found out who's been stealing checks out of your mail. The feds did a sting operation last what day was that wednesday act no thursday thursday yeah thursday morning they did a sting operation and they arrested a local mail carrier mail guy and what he was doing is and i did not know this guys so this this is new to me he was i guess every mail carrier in america has the universal key there is a universal key that opens up those big blue mailboxes that sit outside of places like here, like right outside my office here, I have a big blue United States postal mail slot thing where you just put the mail in the slot. Everybody here uses it. Well, what this guy was doing is he would go around to places that were like office park locations that had one of these mailboxes. He would go there. Sometimes they weren't even on his route. He'd pull the mail out of those big blue boxes because he's got a universal key. Then he goes home and he starts playing freaking Uno with the mail where if something looked like a check or if he could figure out it was a check by looking at the light, looking at it up in the light, he would throw it over here in this pile. And he was selling those checks to a criminal organization in Georgia. Wow. They were washing the checks. Bradley, you and I know more about this now than I thought I would Mm -hmm. ever know in my entire life. So here's what we didn't know, guys. When you wash a check, if you'd asked me this last week, I would have been like, I have no idea what washing a check means. Basically, what they do is they take sandpaper, some kind of fine grit sandpaper. Like wet sandpaper, I believe, right? Yeah, Yeah. something that's kind of wet. Probably get it at Lowe's or Home Depot in case any of y'all want to wash money, wash checks. Mm-hmm. And they basically just rub off that check with that light grit, that real light grit sandpaper, the name and the uh, amount or the check number, whatever they want to, you know, whatever they want to do with that. That's how they wash checks. And we were lucky. The bank reimbursed us all that money. The $44,900 total was reimbursed to us like that, like that fast. So I, was I was, less, I was, was never hurt. It was less of a big deal than Amy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was never hurt by that. That, that. that money, as soon as I found those checks, I, now I did have to go through all the rigmarole of filing police reports and doing all that, but that money was back in my account literally in like two or three days. Mm-hmm. So I was never impacted by that, but he has now been arrested. The mail carrier has been arrested. And according to the Huntsville PD, he is singing like a canary relative to the people 
that were involved in this. So if there really is a Jalen Knowles out there, Jalen, best of luck to you. I thought Jalen was the mail carrier when you initially told me that. I don't. Uh. 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 This all the only thing this guy was doing here, getting the checks out of the mail, big blue mailboxes, and then putting them together and selling the fencer. He's a, yeah, that's exactly right. That's crazy, dude. That is crazy. And so, it's almost like it's a blessing that that happened. Otherwise, dude, Amy could have went on for a couple different years. Couple yeah. Of years, if it know? hadn't been for that, them, them cashing that operating line check out of the operating account, there's no telling how long mm-hmm. that would have gone on. Well, Scott, I'm going to tell you something, man. Changing gears to the Jason Cast event. Uh-huh which I was not able to attend for the fourth year in a row. Every year I try to go, and it just doesn't work out. My issue this year is I would only be able to go for one day, and all of the flight info, like all the flights there, is you can't get a direct – the only place you can get a direct flight out of Mobile is Dallas and and Atlanta, or you're flying Spirit, and good luck. If you're going to Vegas on Spirit, it's good because you can start your gambling on the flight there. But anyway, the the only flight there got me there at 10 a.m., and then if I left at 5, I wouldn't get home till like – midnight or something even later than that anyway i have seen nothing only thing i saw from brain share over and over and over and over was how good scott howell laid down like chopped the shuck wood the corn, shuck shuck the corn shuck down. the corn that's that was what i was looking for <laughs> scott howell shuck the corn down so for those of so. you that were not there including myself it sounds like we missed out on a phenomenal presentation so hats hats off to you uh, i I appreciate you saying that so i get home first of all i got a story to tell okay so you know what all has been going on in my life and i've had so many things going on in Mm -hmm. so many different places well the morning that i was gonna fly out to kansas city i had my son and I'm headed that direction anyway. And I thought, well, I'm going to just drop him off at school early, get to the airport at 830. Yeah. And we're good to go. I got plenty of time. Huntsville's not a big airport. I drop him off at school. I'm driving to the airport. One of my agents calls me with a problem, of course. And we're talking through something. It was a problem with an account. We're talking through it. And we're trying to figure it out. And we're kind of brain share. We're, we're brain sharing back and forth. And I, I pull into the long-term parking lot there at the airport, got my little ticket, you know, be parked in long-term parking, get out of the car. I get my bag out of the back seat and I got the phone up to my ear, like on my shoulder. And I walk back to the back of my vehicle, open Mm -hmm. up the trunk. And I said, Clint. And he goes, yeah. I said, I don't have a suitcase. He said, what do you mean? You don't have a suitcase. I said, I was in such a hurry this morning that I left my suitcase sitting in my driveway. I said, what, what do I do? Cause I knew I couldn't get back in time to catch the flight. And he said, well, hell just leave, take your carry on. And when you get there, just buy all new stuff. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I don't want to go somewhere and just not have anything. I drive back to the house. Sure enough, sitting in the middle of my driveway <laughs> is a Brown suitcase. Just I sitting there. Unloaded it with Wyatt's baseball equipment. It looked like my wife had thrown me out of the house. And that, <laughs> Your was, neighbors. that was my shit sitting right there in the middle of the driveway. You're lucky Crackhead Christy didn't steal that and all your stuff was really gone. She's still in jail. Everybody listening to this just laughed, I hope. She, she's still in jail. She still isn't out. So it gets better, her, Brad. Her and Amy are besties now. Yeah. In the gets, middle it, her, Amy, and the mailman. Yeah, they're all three, and they're doing a triangular quad, quad uh, triangular. Uh, They've got little Scott Howell voodoo dolls. Exactly, they're, they're trying to figure out how how we're going to get him back for all of this. 
So this story gets better, Bradley. I go to Brainshare. Okay, I go to Brainshare. I'm. It's time to come home. It's Friday morning. I got. I got all my stuff ready. I get on my flight. When I booked my flight, there was a second leg of my flight both directions that came through Atlanta. Welcome to living in Alabama. Correct. I had a 30-minute layover in Atlanta. That's tight. That's I tight. Wish you'd have said that to me before last Friday. Oh, no. You missed the layover? I, we get into Atlanta. We, get, we pull into Terminal B. Mm-hmm. Terminal B. It's the Delta. Everybody, everybody on my flight has to take – Or one of the Delta. You would have thought it was Shady Acres Nursing Home, the way people – how slow they were moving. Mm-hmm. I kind of hustle, but I don't run. I'm not going to yeah. start running. I no, get you don't to, run for something like that. Man. I get to Concourse C. It was like gate 32, C32. I see the door closing. Oh, no. I beat on the door. Boom, 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 which the door says don't beat on the door. Don't yeah. beat on the door. This is, this is not a you fire escape. Well said bomb. And son of a son of a gun won't let won't open the door for me. Mm. And I sit there and watch my plane. Oh no! I didn't know that. Yeah. So I I had another four hour layover in Atlanta to finally get home at seven o'clock Friday night. Yeah. Oh, that was on the way back. Yeah, that's on the way oh. back. Yeah, oh. that's on the way back. Oh yeah, yeah. Thirty minutes is tight. About the I think the limit in Atlanta is about forty five minutes. Yeah, that's yeah. about the longest you can go. Yeah. Because um, because at 15 minutes prior to the flight on your uh, ticket taking off, they're going to shut that door because now mm-hmm. they got to get everything ready to take off. Yeah, my uh, my rule of thumb is is to always try and at least have an hour layover if I have a layover. Yeah, yeah, that's um, smart, especially the, in a place uh, like Atlanta. Probably what I was thinking about it, like your situation with leaving your luggage. Probably what I would have done, and it would depend on what I'm going to. Right. You know what I mean, but. I would probably have had, no, I'm not telling you what you should have done, but I would have probably had Laurel grab the luggage, pull out what I needed and just FedEx it to the hotel hotel in Kansas city overnight. It cost you probably 80 bucks, but that would be better to me. You know what I mean? Either that or rebooked like kind of what you did. Probably those two would have been real close from a decision standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got to fly. I'm flying, uh, Laura and I are going to North Carolina in October. I'm speaking at the IIANC or so, the insurance, the Albany Knights group, North Carolina State Association. And, and Laurel has always wanted to go to like this, some town in North Carolina, Nicholas Sparks wrote about or some stuff like that. And so we're going, we're going to make a little vacation out of it. But I, I got an email yesterday. Our flight was changed and we're going to have a, not only are we leaving at 6 a.m., we have five-hour layover in Atlanta, and Luke is coming with us. And I, I, we reached out to Delta. Delta has a cool text thing. I texted Delta, and I was like, I cannot do that. I cannot have a five-hour layover and get up at, you know, fly out at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. with what will be a 11-month or 13-month-old then. And they were like, okay, we have this option for you, and it was a 45-minute layover. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not going to work either. Like, it's, it's got to be, you know. With a, especially with a baby, you need like a good hour and a half layover if you have a layover. But I'm going to Dallas on Thursday for the insurance soup event, and That'll I'm flying fun. direct. And I just cannot tell you guys like how great it is to fly direct out of Alabama compared to having to connect. You know what I mean? Like, and that's why like somebody asked me today, like, why well, I wasn't? I'm only going to be there for one day at insurance soup, and they're like, why are you doing that? I was like, well, because I only get 
so many chances a year to have a direct flight. And if I can be home, I'm literally going to leave there at three o'clock. I get home at five o'clock. I'll, it'll literally be as if I went to work. Nobody will know any difference. If I, I need to take advantage of that when I can, because the stuff like what I went through in Arkansas, you know, when I went to Arkansas for their state association three weeks ago, walked off the plane in Atlanta and our flight was delayed for two hours. And I was like, okay, no big deal. There's worse airports to be stuck in than Atlanta. And immediately, like out of a movie, every food place closed. Like everyone walked up. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. We ended up finding this like crappy Mexican place. No alcohol. Like it was just just terrible. And then we landed in Arkansas at midnight or one, excuse me, we landed in Arkansas at 1 a.m. And we had an hour and a half ride to the venue so to make up for that kind of stuff, anytime I can be home and back in the same day and sleep in my own bed, I'm going to do that, even if it means me being a little bit tight on the schedule. I, I get uh, it. Bradley, anyway, it's time for us to help these agents. Yeah, that's all I was about to say. Outside of Amy, what's going on in your agency, man? So Bradley and I want to do a three-part series that starts today. Now, we're going to have some guests on the podcast for the other two parts of this series because I think it's important that we have, like, you and I talking about this because mm-hmm. technically, technically, we've only been independent agents for what? I went July of 2020. So let's just call that two years. January of 2019. It's January of 2019 for you. Second part of this, which this is going to be entitled from producer to agency owner, how to go from being a producer to an agency owner. Mm. The second part of this series, which is a very important series for a lot of people, we're going to have somebody who has agencies a little bigger than you and I have. Because, you know, we're in that 8 to 10, 12 million range. I think we need to have somebody that's in that 10 to 25 range. And then the third part of the series is having an agency owner own that has taken it to that next level, that 25 to 100 range. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out who those people need to be, but they need to, they need to be great leaders. They need to be great leaders and they need to be able to spit fire. So you kind of have an idea of who those people are, Mm -hmm. but Bradley, let's talk today about from producer to agency owner. There is a ton of people that are listening to this right now that are considering going independent or maybe even captive or, or they already independent or just getting going as like a just, one man or one just getting shot. off the ground. So yeah. here, here's going to be some of the things I'm going to talk about today, guys. And I want everybody to take notes, especially if you're a young agent and you're just getting started in the business. There's a couple of things I'm going to say today. I've written down about four pages of, doc, of, of notes here that we probably won't be able to get through. The very first thing I'm going to say is there is an old adage in the insurance industry that if you can make it for five years, when mm. you go out on your own, you're going to make it. Well, I think the, the stats are the average small business goes like, like 80% of small businesses go out of business at five years or something like that. That's right. So my thing is once you get to the five year mark, if you're, if you're hanging in there and you're writing some business and, and once you get to that five year mark, that is a very important anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I would say at that five-year mark, you probably need to go somewhere quiet and reassess like, well, okay, we made it to five. What do we want yeah. to do now? What, what's our next What's our next steps? But before we get to that, here's what I'm going to say about 0.0 in premium, okay? You decided <laughs> you want to go out on your own. You're less than scratch. 
The first thing I'm going to say is you need to have a plan. I'm not a big business plan guy necessarily, but I do think you need to have a plan for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number one, let's say you're with an agency right now and y'all are writing the shit out of some business, pretty good size agency. And you decide you want to go out on your own. Oh, I love this example. Are, are you going to get the shit suit out of you when you go down the street and open up your own independent agency? That's probably needs to be the first thing you, you think about. You need to review your non-compete agreement and make a decision. Hey, I want to go out on my own, but I can't go three miles down the road because these people are mm-hmm. going to have an attorney on me in about five yeah. minutes. So where am I, where am I going to put this agency? What am I going to do? Here's one thing I'd like to say about on this same subject is Really dig down deep in your soul and think about why you want to go out on your own. Correct. And if the reason you want to go out on your own is the fact that you think that, you know, you're writing this business and you're getting a 60% split and you think the agency owner's making all the money or you're getting a 40%, you don't need to go out on your own. If the reason you want to go out on your own is, you, you see what I'm getting at? It's Dude. like, I think there's, and the reason I say that is I think there's, and, and I'm not necessarily speaking about anybody I know, but like there's so many people in this industry that go out on their own because they think that when in reality, they're a perfect number two or a perfect producer, but instead they want to go out on their own and start their own agency. And it's just not in the cards. You know what I mean? Like you get what I'm saying? Let, let, let me, let me take that one step further for you. Yeah. Uh, here was going to be my next piece of advice that dovetails exactly into what Bradley flowers is saying. The very first thing I would do if I've been in the insurance industry and I decide I'm going to go out on my own, I can't take it here another day. It's just awful. I, I just can't do it. Not making enough money. This some bitch running this is making all the money. Long, my, and here, here's what I think a lot of the, the process, thought process is your long-term future. Like yeah. I'm only making 50, 60, 70,000 and long-term, I want to make a lot more than and that's that. A, and that's a valid reason. I got to go out on my own. Let me reframe what I said real quick. If you think I'm making all this money for this person, I can go out on my own and make it for myself. That's not, unless you're just getting royally screwed over with your contract, right. that's not a good reason to go out on your own. A good reason to go out on your own is I can't breathe unless I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I can't breathe unless I'm running stuff. Yep. I want growth. I want long-term freedom. Yep. I want the headaches that come with owning an agency. I want to be the freaking boss. Yes. Totally. Got, 100%. Those are all good reasons. Got a couple, I think got I can do it here. better. I think yep. I can do it better. Yep. Those are all, but, but if it's, if it's, oh, I'm tired of building this for this, some, that's not that's not the way to think about it. You're going to royally fail and you're going to be an agency that stays a one or two person show and you're going to be capped in your growth because it's all about you and it cannot be all about you and you're leading an organization. Sorry, Scott. I got a couple here in my office that I'm not so sure that they don't have to be the boss. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be the boss and you've got to be the boss and no matter what happened, no, no matter how good, you've got it in the agency that you're at, you by God got to be the boss, then you need to go out on your own. Mm -hmm. But dovetailing into what Bradley just said, before you make that jump, before you go back to Candyland starting line, freaking you got your little game piece on the starting line, which is where you're going to go back. 
the very first thing I would do, Bradley, is I would get with Laura Bruno and I would take the disc profile test again if I've already taken it before. And I would take her leadership test, which takes about 15 minutes to take. And then I would have a about a one hour meeting with Laura Bruno and I would ask one question. Based on my disc profile and the, the assessment on leadership that I just took, do I have what it takes to be an agency owner? Because I, I like you said earlier, there's a lot of good number twos and number threes and number fours out here. But boy, you better you better have a special, special personality mm -hmm. to be a number one. But yeah, you need to you need to back to the original point. You need to figure out if you're gonna be sued. Like that needs yeah. to be Sure. Number that one. needs to be a number one. And I have the company that I came from. I've had agents call me from that company that want to go independent. And the, a lot of them are figuring out, you know, like, oh, I can take this client and I could do this and da, 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 da. And I'm like, look, I want to be super clear. Like I did this the right way. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. got to do it. You, if you're under some sort of non-compete, sounds like you're not going to circumvent that system. Nope. If you are, if you are leaving an agency to take business from that agency and using that as the base to start your new agency, you have problems. Not only is that the worst way to start a business on, but do you want to give them the satisfaction of saying, yeah, you know how they, when you're you know, 20 years from now, when you're $20 million in premium, do you want to give them the satisfaction of thinking, yeah, you know, they started that from us because they stole that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like right. that was kind of the thing with me, with my non-compete is we took, no business, no business, no business, no business. Well, then by the time I was up with my non-compete, I had the, the, the green flag to like be as aggressive as I wanted to. And I told my wife, I said, I don't want them some bitches to think I needed anything from them. Right. We didn't do but, nothing, you know? So as part of your five-year plan to start with, okay? And we really haven't gotten into the, how do I go from a producer to an agency owner? Because my mm -hmm. assumption is, if you're going out on your own to get started, you're going to be producing insurance business. Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have to. There's, I don't see any way around that, but that brings me to my next question that should be part of the five-year plan. How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. Am I going to start a scratch agency with $2,000 in my checking account and that's it and that's all I've got and it's just going to be me? All right that goes out and secures the contracts and all the other things that have to happen to, to start an independent agency, or am I going to save the money up, which Bradley, you save an amount of money up to be able, and I love this model for a lot of reasons, but, and I'll tell a few of them in a minute, are you going to save up enough money that when you do make that jump, you can go ahead and hire maybe one producer and one service person? And, and to me, that's the way to go because starting scratch with just yourself is so, so, so difficult. Do you agree or disagree? No, I agree. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's still hard. I'll, I'll say this, you know, we're at year three now. We're at, you know, a pretty good amount of revenue. We're nowhere near where we want to be, but we're hitting our goals. It's harder now. Than it was when you started. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's much harder now. Tell these agents because, why. Because with because with growth comes other issues. It's more money, like, more money, more problems. It's kind of like more money, more problems. You know, it's it's. Uh, I mean, I still enjoy it. It's still like I love being an operator. I love running my companies. But just with with the growth comes other issues because it's really easy 
to go from a million dollar or from zero dollars to a million dollars. It's really easy to go from a million dollars to five. But but when you get to you're going to get to that point to where it's like, hey, we have to innovate and we have to pivot and we have to mm -hmm. figure out how to compound on things. And yeah, we're growing by two million dollars in premium a year. But how do we turn that into six and in the personnel, and especially when you do it the way I'm doing it with no, no debt, no venture capital, no, nothing. That's not to say like what I'm doing is harder than what someone else is doing, but no venture capital, no debt, nothing. We're literally bootstrapping and hiring as we can go. You know, like we have need right now for two or three more people from a personnel standpoint, can't do it. You know, it just gets significantly harder. You know, I was talking to a buddy the other day who has 200 employees, which I know like back to my original point, you get 200, you're going to have sure. bigger problems, but I was like, when you're at work, where I'm at right now, around like 10 across all my companies, like you're at, I'm at this weird in-between phase where I'm still having to deal, like, like if somebody has an issue, they come to me mm -hmm. and there's not a manager in place. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, whatever you got going on, you drop what you're doing and deal with that issue. Right. Right. But, but like with him, like he's got, you know, manager like layers, but, but there's still issues that come with that. Cause those people are going to have, you know, but sure. like that, and then it, and then getting into like different niches and like, you know, what so, are we so, doing? You know, so like, like, do we have carrier access? Like there's, there's things that come when you're trying to really scale up, you know, to so prevent yourself from plateauing. Let's go back. You're swinging with a big bat right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. When you started your agency, you hired people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say this agent that's wanting to go out on their own, they have saved up a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. Which you could do it for less than that, but let's just use a hundred thousand dollars as a benchmark. Huh? I did it with less than that. Yeah. But, but I mean, you were up into the, I don't want to say how much, but it was, you know, it was a pretty good little chunk of change. It wasn't. Let's put it this way. I have agents call me with a hundred thousand dollars saved up and they're scared to go out on their own. Cause they don't, they know they don't think they have enough money. And I'm like, do you have any idea what I would have done with a hundred K? Yeah. Like we'd so, be three times the size. So since you've done this, you've done this yourself, tell our listening audience, looking back on it now, who would you hire day one to come in with you as the agency owner to start building an insurance agency that's tough because you've already I done think, this i think it depends on you it depends on what you want to do you know what i'm saying like like are you more of a manager entrepreneur ceo type and i mean that from a technical standpoint not a egotistical standpoint which is kind of like what i am like i like being the operator and like that, that sort of thing I don't like being the one doing the selling. If that's you, I would hire, I would hire a producer or somebody to do some selling right out of the gate. And I would also give them some service activities. If you're someone that you want to be the producer, you want to be the one doing the selling, which is what the far majority of new independent agencies are, um, then I would hire a service person day one. Right. That's a great point. Like you need yeah. to figure out what do I like to do? And then supplement that next, that first hire with, if I'm going to be the one right in the business, then I need to hire somebody to help me with yeah. service and answering phones. If mm -hmm. it's, I want to do the managerial side of this, then you're going to have to yeah. go out and find a, a great producer. And, and I kind of did the a blend of both. You know, my first two people that I hired, we started with two people day one. Funny fact, one of them didn't show up the first day. She, 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 uh, had just gotten big into CrossFit and, and was like all jacked up for a new job and woke up at 5 a.m. and went to the gym, went back home and decided to sit down on the couch for a minute and chill before she got ready for work and fell asleep. Right. If that happened now, I'd probably be like, don't worry about it. But I was, right. back then I was like, 
hey, she's willing to work. I got other, you know, anyway, uh, we ended up parting ways shortly thereafter. But the two that I hired, their job was sales and service, but it was more service because like I was doing the selling and then I realized really fast that, and that was mostly when Natasha came on, who is, you know, a, a born salesperson that like, Hey, I'm much better off like letting them handle the sales and I'll handle admin and some service. Mm. And then when Kenneth came on, Kenneth is my ops guy. Kenneth kind of came on and like took over all of like the service renewal type stuff that I didn't want to do basically. But, you know, for me, Initially, I was like, hey, we'll set up a system where I will do the selling and then they handle the back end. But the problem is, is when somebody has an issue, they want you to solve it. Mm -hmm. And that's not conducive. And, and for me, if you came to me, let's say you work for me, Scott, and you came to me right now and you said, hey, John Smith has this issue. And I wrote John Smith. I'm significantly more stressed out than if John Smith is what somebody else somebody, somebody else, right. I would agree with that. Significantly more stressed out. It can be the same issue, same person. I could know them I'm like, okay, figure it out. Versus if I wrote it, I feel somewhat responsible to handle that. Right. And I, I decided to figure out a way to take that off of me. So uh, I think it just depends on the person, like really dig down deep in yourself. And that's where maybe Laura Bruno can help out, but really dig down deep in your soul and figure out, Hey, what is it that I really want to do? And honestly, not that you need to operate from this standpoint, but imagine yourself at 10, 15, 20 million in premium and reverse engineer that. Yes. You know, how will, and that's, that's one thing that we did do when we were like a year, a year and a half old, we were making decisions and operating almost as if we were a big agency and we weren't because we knew we were going to that point, you know, and we probably need to get back to some of that, honestly. Well, hello there. Guys, excuse me for interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast, but I'm here today to get you out of aggregator and cluster jail. This may be the most important message I've ever delivered on the Insurance Guys podcast. Guys, are you a member of a cluster or an aggregator? Does your contract have exit fees, termination payments, buyback provisions? It's time to get your freedom back. And do what we did here at iProtect Insurance, join the AC, the future of aggregators in our industry. Best decision we've ever made, guys. Best decision we've ever made. No entry fees, small $200 a month membership fee, over 50 plus carriers for direct appointments. And by the way, new ones coming on board each and every month. You keep 100% of your commissions. Profit sharing every year. Guys, we have made in the last two years, each year, our agency has made over $100,000 in profit sharing. Here's the best part, guys. And this is the part I'm the most passionate about. No termination or exit fees. You give the AC 60 days notice and you're free. You go get direct appointments wherever you want. There's no buyback provisions, no exit clauses. Guys, if you're a member of another aggregator and you have termination fees, buyback provisions, exit clauses, every single policy you write, you're digging that hole just a little bit deeper. And one day you're not going to be able to get out of it. It's going to be too much. You're going to be taking out a second mortgage on your home to try to get out of a cluster group. Unbelievable. Guys, go to acfree.org. That's acfree dot org and register find out why over 650 agencies and three 
billion dollars in premium have chosen the AC. And guys, here's the best part. But wait, there's more. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast when you talk to these guys and you get six months. That's six months of no membership fee just by mentioning the Insurance Guys podcast. Go today, www.acfree.org, and let me help you get your freedom back. Have a great day. So, Bradley, the next question I have is going to be an unpopular opinion, and I want your opinion of this, okay? Okay. In the environment that we are in right now relative to the insurance industry Mm -hmm. and personal lines being getting more and more fragmented and embedded insurance and and all the other things going on, would you open up today – doesn't matter the location – would you open up a scratch agency that was going to be only personal lines? Because my answer is no, I wouldn't do it. And and the reason I wouldn't do it is a lot of reasons, but the main reason is only personal lines, only your own, your line share of everything you're writing is personal lines, 95% of it, 98% of it. Probably not. I don't think I would. That doesn't mean if somebody is listening to this and they are thinking about doing that or they already have right that yeah that doesn't mean that i'm discouraging you you know what i mean that's not what's happening here but but probably not um just, for me for me i'm thinking about this for me you know what i'm saying i don't right. i don't think you can't do it i don't think there's anything wrong with but, but only personal lines scares the crap out of me me too now, personal, if you're going to say, hey, we're going to do personal lines and we're going to do some commercial, I'm cool with that. That's what we do, mm. you know, but I don't, I don't know. You have to be in a market similar to, you know, you, you have to look at what your lead source is. You know, hey, if you're in a scenario where you've got the opportunity for a ton of personal lines leads and it's going to be high convert, like, like that's completely, you know, it depends on you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But like, you know, let's say I'm in an area where there's a ton of more, like if you look up like, the top thousand mortgage lenders in the United States, there's none of them or one or two of them in Alabama. But if I'm in an area where like 25% of them are in this area, which is the case of like the New England area, maybe that's a little bit different, you know, would not open up a personal lines in Florida, would not open up a personal lines in Louisiana, would not do anything in California. Sorry, California people. Uh, it's just me. But as far as just starting scratch and really not having a plan and we're just going to be, Hey, you run of the mill generalist main street insurance agent. So we're just going to do personal lines. No, I would not do that. I don't think you cannot do it. Like, I don't, like, I don't think you need to not do it. If you're thinking about that, you're going to have to innovate. You're going to have to innovate. You you are, you're going to have to be very innovative. You're going to have to be on your game. I just reading the tea leaves for the future of our industry. I continue to see personal lines be fragmented. I continue to see more and more signs that embedded insurance is already here. And I think it would be, and not to mention the fact, if you've got an agency like Bradley does and like I do, where we're about 60, 40 commercial versus personal lines, I can see month over month over month, how much faster we grow with commercial Mm -hmm. than we do with personal lines. Okay. Yeah, I'm not telling you not to do personal lines. I think your long tail, how long it's going to take you to grow to get to where you need to be to really be making the kind of money and have the lifestyle and freedom that you want. If you're only doing personal lines, 
that tail is going to be a whole lot longer than if you say jump in it and you get in the middle middle market commercial. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's just going well, to take just, a lot longer. It's really high touch. I mean, you got to look at average account size versus the number of touches. Yep. You know what I mean? A $100,000 commercial account, which is not a large account in terms of the middle market, it has pretty much the same amount of touches as a personal lines account, if not right. less, depending right. on the type of business, obviously. And then, you know, like, like I was telling somebody the other day, I was like, don't do small commercial unless you can streamline it through a Tarmica. Like in our market where I am, don't do small commercial. You will go freaking broke doing yeah. only small commercial because a small commercial account that's $1,500 expects the same level of service and requires the same level of service as a $50,000, $7,500 contractor in my opinion. Correct. Or, or trucking or whatever. Correct. Like you, you, it's, it's not, and they're going to shop you every single year and you've done all this work for $180 in revenue, or you do a really, really, really good job and you sell the relationship and the value and they stay with you. But guess what? You spent more time than you should have on a $1,500 account. Right. That's just, I'm a little salty today. So oh, I understand. I sometimes I'll say stuff on this podcast when I'm salty and I mean it, but I kind of don't mean it. And then people like take it as gospel. So yes, there's subjectives to all of this that we are saying for me personally. No, I would not open a small, small uh, personal lines or small commercial insurance agency only. I do some of that along with other stuff. You know, I tell sure. people all the time, especially my like hardcore commercial friends like David Carruthers and Mick Hunt, we'll always do personal lines, especially the lender referral game. Like we have it down to a science. But that's more of a supplemental thing at this point. Correct. Um, Correct. It's that's to get us by, you know, because the downside to middle market is the sales are few and far in between, especially if you're in a market kind of like what I'm in and what maybe not so much what you're in, Scott, but the sales are too and far between. So the, the personal line supplements that. Yeah. So my rule of thumb, guys, is if you go out and start a scratch agency, don't care what the niche is, who your ideal client is, uh, what you're selling. At about $500,000, let's just say you're going to go out and do it yourself. You're just going to go out and open your own agency. And for the, you just can't afford to hire anybody. So you're going to start it yourself. At about half a million dollars, depending on what type of niche you have and, and who you're selling to, who your ideal client is. And again, this goes back to having a plan. You're going to have to hire somebody to help you at about half a million dollars in premium. Because if you don't, if you don't, what you're going to do is you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to go in the office and you're going to, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. I cannot sell insurance anymore because all I'm doing is servicing. Mm -hmm. You get there in the morning at 830, phone rings. Miss Johnson's well, got a water damage claim. It's the whole reason why I left Alpha. Right. Because I didn't have any support. And one of two things had to happen because customer experience was suffering. I either had to continue what I was doing, marketing, which is what I love doing, driving business in, but have a really shitty back end. And people right. think, man, this guy can't live up to his promises or B, scale back my marketing, which I would rather die than do. So the only option was to leave and do it myself. That's a good reason to leave. Right. You know, the other thing that I would do, and this may be an unpopular opinion, guys, but I'm just going to come out and say it. If I was in middle America, if you could draw a circle around the United States of America and do middle America, starting with, see, we're in the very northern tip of Alabama. Bradley's on the water in the very far south. But if I was in middle America, I would join the AC, the agency collective. And the reason I would do that 
is number one, they don't have any entry fees. They don't have any exit fees. Uh, you keep 100% of your commission. But here's the big reason why. Oh, yeah. And the website, if any of you want to go look at this, is www.freeac.org. Is, is that right, Bradley? I believe it is. I think that's right. There's no exit fees, no entry fees, none of that stuff. But here's why I would do it. And this is the big difference between Bradley and I. Bradley is on the coast. Most aggregators and clusters aren't going to have access to the companies that Bradley Flowers has to have down there. They're just not. So I would go ahead and I would join, I would join the AC. And the reason I say join the AC is, is I have given all of these aggregators and clusters sufficient notice that as of May the 1st, I told them, Either you take out all of your fees, all of your termination clauses and fees and buyback provisions, or I'm going to start promoting the AC. They did not do that. Therefore, that's why I'm promoting the AC now. But for me, it was the best decision I could have made because first dollar premium that we write, I can start making profit sharing bonuses. And the only reason that I protect insurance is still in business today based on the things that have happened the last four months is we just received a profit sharing bonus in March of well over a hundred thousand dollars. And you're like, well, why, why is that the only reason you're still in business? Well, the reason it's the only, the, the reason we're still in business is that is almost exactly the amount of money that was taken in this uh, embezzlement case. And I don't know that we could have made it had we not just received an over $100,000 bonus. And the only reason we received that bonus is because with the AC, they do away a lot of times with the requirement, the loss ratio requirement. So if I had just gone out and gotten these individual contracts on my own, the direct appointments on my own, I would have had with each one of those carriers as part of my profit sharing, they'd have said, hey, look, we're going to pay you profit sharing, Scott, but you got to be under 52, 55% which we probably would not have been. And therefore, we would not have been able to get the profit sharing bonus that we got. So for us, it was huge to be able to join the AC because it gave us, I think they've got something like over 50 carriers. You still have direct appointments with those carriers, but, but you also get to take place in that profit sharing. Bradley has no reason to join a cluster. He can't because he's on the coast and most of the carriers that he has don't the, the most clusters and aggregators aren't going to have those carriers. And so he doesn't get to take part in profit sharing the way that, that we do up here. So that, that would be something if I was in middle America, uh, places like Kentucky, Missouri, Indiana, Iowa, all of those types of places, middle America, USA, I would, I would, think real long and hard about maybe joining the AC because you have no termination penalty. You have no exit clauses. You have no buyback provisions. You keep a hundred percent of your commissions. You have no buy-in. So you're not having to, to come out of pocket up front, $7,500. They help you get your direct appointments or at least point you in the right direction. So that would be something I would really put a lot of thought in. But I, I would, I would, if I was going to start a scratch agency today or a, a new independent agency, that's something I would do. The next thing that I would look at, 
I would look at, and this is kind of the crux of why we're talking today, guys. When do I transition from working in the business to own the business? Okay. I talk to a lot of agency owners that are new agents, newer, or maybe they just started their journey as an agency owner. And they ask me this question quite frequently. They're like, man, I'm doing it all here. I'm cleaning toilets. I'm selling insurance. I'm taking up the money. I'm doing the bank deposit. I'm going here. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like, how do I transition from working in the business to own the business? And this kind of goes back to my leadership talk I gave at the uh, brain share last week. I think one of the pandemics that we have in the insurance industry is that we all started as either a producer or an agency owner that was doing it all. And I think that we don't really have any great agency owner leadership training the way that, say, the military does, where you can go to school to become a leader. Fortune 500 companies, if you're doing your job really well and you get promoted to a leadership position, which means they've now hired somebody to take over your role, they will put you through leadership courses. They will put you through leadership training. We don't have that, to my knowledge. Maybe there's some state organizations that may have some of that, but I think we have a real problem in the insurance industry where Nearly every agency owner wakes up one day and they go, holy shit, I got five people working for me now. What happened? I remember when I was just doing all this on my own. And so I think it's important for a lot of these newer agency owners to go to a lot of industry events like BrainShare, like the One City World Tour, like Insurance Soup, like uh, the UPP Boot Camp. I think all of those different insurance conferences, if you will, typically have, you know, some training on leadership, how to be a better agency owners kind of, I mean, that's the whole reason for all these agents, all these uh, insurance events is like, okay, how do you become a better agency owner? Well, as I said, in the one city world tour and at the brain share event, you have to be a learn it all, not a know it all, but it's hard to lead people unless you've already been there and done that yourself. And I think that's a, a void that we need to do a better job of, and, and I need to do a better job of, is training our leaders, training people to become leaders, not only within our agencies, but in the, in the insurance space in general. So I don't know where that, you know, I don't know how that plays into this other than you're, you're going from a role of being a producer or an agent in an office where there's probably an agency owner or two or three to you're the guy, you're the girl, you're running the show. And that's a, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. And so I would encourage all of you. I tell people this all the time. I learn something at every single event that I go to. People are like, why do you go to all these industry events? Because every time I go to one, I learn something new. And I get to see a lot of my friends and I get to meet a lot of you guys that I've never met before. So that I would make sure that I tried to get some type of, especially if I'd been in more of a producer role in a larger agency and I was getting ready to go out on my own, I would do, you know, if nothing else, you can go to YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever. And there are tons of podcasts out there on leadership. 
you can go to leadership. You can go to le- business leadership courses that aren't even involved in the in the insurance industry. Guys like Jocko Willick, uh, SEAL Team Commander, he has uh, conferences all over America, uh, business leadership conferences. You don't necessarily have to go to an insurance conference if you need to work on your leadership skills. Find somebody that really resonates with you or that you resonate with and listen, spend a lot of time listening to what they have to say on how you can become a better leader, because that's what you're about to be when you open up your new agency. Next thing I would do, five-year plan here, guys. We're coming up with a plan on how we're going to do this. Where's our agency going to be located? For the love of God, do not go out and go into what I call a class A retail space and go spend six, seven, eight thousand, five thousand dollars a month on rent. That is not necessary. It is not needed. There have been some very successful agents out there that started their agency literally out of their house. CJ Hudson Pillar's mom would be one of them up in uh, Mount Juliet, Tennessee. She started her agency out of her house. And I'm not telling you to do that either. I personally can't work from home. It's just not something I'm very good at. So I would prefer to have some spot to, to go work. But the one thing I, I tell new agency owners is if you'll just find a spot, I mean, it doesn't need to be like class A office type area, but if you'll find a spot that's like not too much rent, you know, my fund meter pegs out here in Alabama and these small towns and cities that, that we're in, my fund meter pegs out at about $850 a month. Anything over that, I'm going to have some heartburn with. Huntsville, Alabama, third, fourth fastest growing city in the country. I have a beautiful office right across from Big Spring Park. You go outside and it's just breathtaking. You get the park and the people playing and, and rollerblading and the Museum of Art across the street. $1,100 a month for three offices and a conference room and a bathroom. That's what I pay here, $1,100 a month. I've got an office in Florence, Alabama, one agent in that office, $420 a month. All it has is two small offices and a, and a little waiting room area. That's all it's got. Do not go out and spend six, $7,000 a month on rent. Another thing that I tell agents a lot of times is if you're going to go out and rent a spot, I always like to get a spot that's near some kind of monument or something where you can direct people to you. So, for instance, when I was an agent for a state farm agency in Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham's a big place, but we had a, we had a fire department across the street. So I would say, hey, do you know where the Cahaba Heights Fire Department is? Well, yeah, I know where that's at. Well, we're right across the street from it. So as long as you have a landmark, you don't have to have the nicest place in town, but a landmark so that if somebody does need to come see you, they can easily find you based on, you know, you turn left at the fire department or the police station or, you know, where the big clock tower is. Oh, yeah, I know where the big clock tower is. Been there for 100 years. Yeah, turn left at the clock tower. We're one block up on the right. That's all you need. You don't need to be on the busiest intersection road uh, in your city or town in a five or $6,000 a month office space. Do not do that. That's just my opinion, but I'm sticking with that. Next thing that I would do guys, if I was about to open up my agency, now we've covered a lot of ground today. We talked about how are we going to get this agency started? 
developing kind of a five-year plan to start with, knowing that things are going to change. You're going to go back and you're going to look at that plan two or three years from now, and you're going to be like, wow, I remember when we said we were going to do all that. But I do think you need to have a plan. I think you need to read over your non-compete with your current agency about 15 times and maybe even have an attorney review that. That's what I would do. And the reason I would have an attorney review that non-compete was to let you know what you can and cannot do. Because it may very well be that when you leave that agency that you're at now, you have to travel and, and open up your new agency 60 miles away just to avoid being sued by going down the street and opening up your new agency. The attorney may find a loophole that says, hey, you know, it says this, but it doesn't say anything about this. They may give you the green light to do that. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know the context of what any of your non-competes. One thing I have noticed when people send me their non-competes to review in the insurance space, everyone seems to be a little bit different. Everyone seems to have like a little nuance that's a little bit different. But you need to know that backwards and forwards before you go make a huge life changing decision and only to find out that you can't do what you want to do. That's all I'm going to say about that. That needs to be kind of number one on the list is, okay, what are we facing if we go do this? And I'll, I'll give you another little tidbit too. And all these agency owners are going to be like, Scott, shut the hell up. The more valuable you are to that agency, the harder they're going to fight to keep you from doing it. And that's just a, I've seen it time after time, after time, after time. You get somebody that's producing a ton of business for an agency and they one day they wake up after eating a bad piece of pizza and decide to go out on their own, they're going to fight you. They're going to fight you. And it may very well be that you just have to get out of the insurance industry for a year or two and go do something else outside of the insurance industry, knowing that at some point in time, whenever that non-compete agreement runs out, you're going right back to doing what you were doing, but you're going to be an agency owner. The next thing I would think about, and I think one thing that Bradley and I didn't talk about earlier is you need buy-in from your spouse. You need to have a supportive spouse. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night. And I'm not going to say his name because he hasn't given me permission to use his name on the podcast, but it'd be somebody that a lot of you know. And we were talking about him starting his independent agency. This was years ago, like 10, 15 years ago. And it, since that time, he's sold out and he's, he's doing something else in the industry. But he said his wife comes to him. She's got a baby in her tummy. They're about to have, I can't remember if it was their first child or, or, or their second child, but she looks at him and she says, sometimes I just want to punch you right in the face for talking me into letting you do this. because." It is an up at dawn pride swallowing siege for five years. To, to, again, I go back to what I started with, guys. If you can make it for five years, you're probably going to make it. But that first five years that you're an independent agency owner, uh, starting scratch or not having very much of a book of business, it is going to be a lot of work for five years. And you need to have a supportive spouse, a supportive family, uh, you, need to, you need to let them know, hey, it's going to be tough for a few years. The harder I work, the easier it's going to get. And I think everybody that's listening to this right now that's been through that is probably shaking their head going, yeah, he's right. 
by about five-year mark, it starts getting a lot easier in terms of you have more freedom, you have more people working for you, you know, you have um, some premium built up, so you're making more money, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a slow go for five years. So another th- question that you need to ask yourself, and we're going to do a podcast on this pretty soon. I've got, I've got somebody I want to have on the podcast to have an entire one-hour discussion on the, on the question that I'm about to pose to all of you out there that are looking to start an independent insurance agency. What do you want your day to look like? I'll say it again. What do you want your day to look like? In my opinion, that would be part of the plan I'm coming up with is what do I want my days to look like? Understanding that for the first three, four, five years, you may be doing some things that you don't like to do because you just can't hire all of these people to supplement the things that you don't like doing, like accounting, uh, monthly reconciliation, claims manager, all the things that you could hire somebody for that might take some of the burden off of you and allow you to do more of what you do enjoy, you're probably not going to be able to do that year one or two. I'm just being completely honest with you. I heard somebody say something the other day at Brainshare that it took me back a little bit, but he was talking about hiring people to do the things that you don't like to do. And he said, he's talking about team members here. He said, part of your paycheck is buying me freedom of time. Part of your paycheck is buying me freedom of time. The other part of that paycheck may be buying you happiness because you're not doing a bunch of stuff that you don't want to do. But guys, guess what? Day one, day 30, month 30, you probably aren't going to be able to hire all of those people that could potentially get you to where you want to be to answer that question. What do you want? What do you want your day to look like? But I would, that would be part of my initial five-year plan is I would write that question down. And I might even write down like draw, draw a line down the middle of the page and on the left side, start writing down the stuff you're good at. And on the right side of the page, start, start writing down the things that you're not so good at. That may do a couple of things for you. It may, it may help you look at that and go, I don't really need to be an agency owner. I don't like dealing with clients. I don't like service work. I don't like dealing with people. I don't like dealing with employees. I don't like dealing with problems. If you're, if, if that's all a bunch of stuff you don't enjoy doing, or at least are able to do effectively, it's going to be a tough road. It's going to be a tough road. So with that being said, I think that's about all the ground I wanted to cover today. And I, Bradley had to jump off his podcast. So, you know, I guess I would leave you with this. I know that we get contacted every week by people who have either gone independent and they maybe they just started and they have lots of questions for Bradley and I uh we get contacted by people who have been in the industry a long time but they've just gone out on their own one of the things I've noticed about those people let's say you've been with an all-state agency for 10 years and I'm just throwing the name all-state out there could be farmers could be state farm could be nationwide could be an independent agency you've been with for 10 years One thing I've noticed with those people that you guys are going to have to be very careful of 
is they do work very hard their first two or three years in the agency that they start and they have a tendency to burn out because think about it. They've been working their ass off for somebody else for 10 years or eight years or 12 years or whatever it was. And finally, one day they wake up and they go, man, this guy's driving a brand new Raptor and he's got a lake house and he's doing all the stuff he wants to do. And he's taking off on Fridays. And here I am, I'm still slugging away, making whatever you make at that agency every year. And I'm just going to go out on my own. And I've listened to Scott and I've listened to Bradley and I've listened to all these other people talk about how hard it's going to be. So I know I've got to work hard and they do, and they do work hard and they really, really, really get after it. And they build up some premium, half a million, million dollars, whatever, whatever it is. And then it seems to me like a lot of those people kind of burn out where they've got to figure out a way to get over that hump. And I think one of the ways you can do that is hiring great people to help you. And you're going to have to cut them loose and let them go do their thing. Because if you continue to try to do it all by yourself for five, six, seven years, building this agency up to a point to where you can live the life that you deserve to live, eventually you're going to burn out. You've already been doing it for 10 years for somebody else. Now you've been doing it three or four or five years for yourself and you're just tired and you're just tired of dealing with all the headaches and the problems. And, you know, one thing you're going to see when you become an agency owner is there was probably a lot of stuff that when you were an employee or a team member for another agency that you're kind of insulated from, you know, you're in your little world selling insurance and maybe you had an account manager, but it was a lot of things you were insulated from that you're not going to be insulated from when you become an agency owner. So that's something else to think about. Very first thing I would do though, guys, is I would get with somebody doesn't have to be her, but it could be anybody uh, like her but a Laura Bruno type person, I would take the leadership test for, with Laura. I would take, uh, I said, Laura Bruno, I'm sorry. She just changed her name about six months ago to Laura Hicks. I would get with Laura Hicks or someone like her. I would take the disc profile test and I would take the leadership test that she offers. And then I would have a one hour therapy session with her and I would go over both of those tests. And before I ever took those tests, I would ask, I would say this to her, I'm considering going out on my own and becoming an agency owner. Scott Howell asked me to give you a call and take these tests. And the answer that I'm trying to get to is whether I have what it takes to be a great agency owner. Or am I more of a number two or a number three, or do I just need to stay with an agency and be, you know, do my thing? Because I think a lot of people that jump off and go into the agency owner type situation, some of them just don't have the personality type or the, the, the things that you really need to be an agency owner. And what I don't want any of you to do is jump off into owning your own independent insurance agency, which sounds great. And, and it is great. And I'm not trying to say it's not, uh, I had a lot of people sit on their half a million dollar boat or their million dollar house 
and try to explain to Scott why I just needed to go to work for them instead of owning my own agency. And that may be what this sounds like I'm trying to do. That is not what I'm trying to do. What I am trying to do is I don't want any of you to jump off and go out there on your own without doing a lot of soul searching and a lot of input and thought and, and get all your ducks in a row at least the best you can and answer a lot of the questions that we talked about today and then have a lot of trouble getting past about a million dollars in premium because for whatever reason, maybe you're just not a great leader and you have a hard time keeping people. You have a lot of turnover. If you have a lot of turnover, it's hard to scale. It's hard to grow. And then maybe you're just not even as happy doing that as you were as a producer or an agent in a larger office. But that's just my opinion. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but I'm just trying to help you guys as much as I can. As I sit here today, the other questions I get from agents going out on their own. Last thing I'll say, I get two or three agents a month contact me via email or text message. And they want to talk about, I just went out on my own. I need to learn how to, how to bring in more business. I need to get my name out there. Guys, you can go back to episodes. I believe it's two, episode three of the Insurance Guys podcast. I start talking about this. If I'm going out on my own, I am going to go act as though I'm running for mayor of my town. And I'm going to sling business cards, tell people what I'm doing. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to meet as many people as I can. You don't have to set, you don't have to go up to every person you meet and, and ask if you can write their insurance. You just tell them, hey, I'm opening up an independent agency. Man, we'd love to earn your business. I know you've got an insurance agent right now, but we'd love to be your second choice. Here's my card. Call me if I can ever help you. That's all you have to do. It's simple. It's easy. Sling as many business cards as you can. Go act exactly like you're about to run for mayor of your small town or middle-sized middle, middle sized town, wherever you are. Go act like you're running for mayor. You may have to spend a little money on marketing and advertising. I have one agent that has been a, he is in a small town in Alabama. He grew up there. He knows every single person there. When we flipped the switch and took him from where he was with the captive carrier that he was with to I protect insurance, there was no drop off because the same people knew him. He had a story to tell. Well, now I'm independent. I have more choices, blah, 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 blah. None, no drop off. In fact, his business picked up. He sold 10 times more insurance than he did at where he was at, but he's lived there his entire life, 53 years in the same spot. And he's well-respected. He's never done anything stupid. People like him and he sells a lot of insurance. Conversely to that, I had a girl that wanted to start a, a satellite office up in Michigan and it was close to where she grew up, but not in the town and the city that she grew up in. She doesn't know one person up in that area besides just her family and a few, few others, but not many. She, uh, we had no marketing going on up there and it has been a tough year for her. It is, it is much harder to go into a location somewhere where you don't know anybody in that town or that area. Then if you're going into a town or a place where maybe your family's always been there and they know a lot of people and you grew up there and you played ball there and you were a high school All-American and everybody remembers your glory days of playing football, basketball, baseball. You went off to college at some Division II school or 
Division One program, NAIA, whatever it is, but everybody knows you and they know your mom and daddy and they all are respected in that. It is so much harder to go into that new community and build a business than if you are in a bit, a, a community or an area where your, your family's respected, you're, you, you are respected. People want to do business with you. They know who you are. They watched you grow up. You're talking about apples and watermelons. That's, that's how much difference it is. So you've got to have a plan for that. If you can't be in your small town because you signed a non-compete with an agency, now you've got to go open up an independent shop 60 miles away. Nobody knows you. Very few people know who you are. That's going to be, that's going to be a lot, lot harder to do. And you have got to get yourself out there and meet as many people as you can sling business cards, act like you're running for mayor, but that's just my advice guys. That's some of what I wanted to talk about today. I'm sorry. This podcast was so long. I didn't mean to talk so long. Bradley tell you tip typically, uh, gives me the, uh, third base signal of, Hey, we need to shut this thing down. And I don't have him here today to do that. But as I, as I end every podcast, Rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today. Go out into the big, bad world. Make money for your family. Figure out what your why is. Figure out what your why is. And in this particular case today, you need to sit down and really do some soul searching. Why do I want to open up this independent agency? And it needs to be a pretty good, in, it needs to be a pretty good reason, whether you just don't like who you're working with, whether I need to make more money long-term and I'm willing to make less for the next two, three, four years to make more long-term, uh, whether it's, uh, what, whatever the reason may be, you need to really sit down and do some soul searching about that. Make money for your wife, for your husband, for your kid's college fund, for your parents that are struggling out there today, go make money for them write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. I love you too, Scott. I, you mean so much to me. Thank you for everything you do. No problem, Bradley, man. I'm glad to do it for you, brother. I love you. Guys, you're listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon. And thank you so much for being a part of our family. And uh, we love each and every one of you. And we just appreciate all of you so much. And I'm not going to get emotional today, but we do. And uh, we thank you for all the love and support that you give to us each and every week. And we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.